want to live. Welcome to the now playing Terminator retrospective series. What is your mission? It is Judgment Day for the Terminator films as we at Now Playing watch and review the entire movie series. You can't do that. These conversations will be spoiler-filled critiques of the Terminator films, and as the films are R-rated, there may be harsh language as well. Win or lose, this war ends. Today we're discussing Terminator Dark Fate, starring Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mackenzie Davis, Natalia Reyes, Gabriel Luna, Diego Bonita, directed by Tim Miller. This is the now playing co-host who loves it when it rains naked ladies, Arnie. And Stuart. No fate but what we make, Marjorie. And welcome back to Genesis 2. Oh wait, what the hell happened? Listen, I knew we were fated that we would be reviewing another Terminator movie. Now, I thought at the time it would be Genesis 2, Electric Boogaloo, but no, we're (laughs) at our, what, third reboot of Terminator? (laughs) Here's what's interesting. I went back and listened to our old shows, and we were all fairly excited about the promise that Genesis led. We had a difference of opinion. You guys ultimately gave him green arrows, and I was like, eh, this is not enough, but I felt like they were setting themselves up to do something different next time and that difference is what i was looking for so we were all i think on board for going with amelia clark and jason clark and what they were trying to set up here i guess it's only because the box office was so bad on that one that they thought we need to scrap that here's what james cameron said he's come out and publicly been positive about most of the terminator films because he's good friends with Arnold, and he wanted to support what Arnold was doing. Okay. But James Cameron did not support any of these Terminator films and doesn't really like them, despite what he said to be positive. Okay. And then the rights reverted. You know, they've been passed around company to company. Remember, a company bought it so they could make Rise of the Machines and Mm -hmm. then went bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Many, many owners. Foster parents galore. Well, there's this thing going on right now with a lot of the 80s hits. It's The reason we don't have another Friday the 13th is there is some law that the original writer regains copyright of their characters after X number of years, which is why Sean Cunningham and the person credited with writing Friday the 13th are in court right now arguing over who owns Jason. Mm. And that same law meant Cameron now owns Terminator again. And that means something to me. James Cameron coming back is a draw. I have liked every movie he's directed to completion and a few of the films that he was just serving as screenwriter. Strange Days, Alita Battle Angel that came out this year. I thought that was good. James Cameron is quality control. If he's coming back, my ears perk up. A big draw for me was having Linda Hamilton back. I thought she was really great in one and two. And what I had heard was Edward Furlong was back. I didn't know Arnold Schwarzenegger was back. That was, we'll talk about that when we get into the story. Except you weren't excited at all for this movie. No, I wasn't. I was going in jaded and cynical. I completely admit that I was kind of dragging my feet. I thought Linda Hamilton coming back might make it kind of cool. And I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I would say Linda Hamilton comes back, brings up issues. Is she time traveling? Because we know from T3 
she died of cancer. And so are they going to do some kind of weird time shift to make that happen? Or are they going to do the idea of, look, we all know the only two you care about are the first two, and we're literally throwing away everything else that's been done into the garbage. And Arnie, it sounds like that's Cameron's opinion. That's what he wanted to do. Yeah, I think that's the new reboot, isn't it? I mean, they did it with Halloween to great success. They're looking at, okay, we can't remake the originals. People love the originals, but we could just obliterate all the forgettable sequels and bring back original creators, original cast, and continue from where a previous one left off. And Audiences rolled with Halloween 2018, and Cameron's like, let's do that with Terminator Dark Fate here. It's not an alternate timeline. The alternate timeline is where any of those other movies, especially Salvation, existed. This is a direct sequel to Terminator 2. That was in all the press I read. They were making it very clear those other films are no longer canon. And same with Sarah Connor Chronicles. And yet, in order for it to really feel like the part three that I've wanted, I would want Cameron going full on and directing. He's still off on Pandora, allegedly making Avatar sequels, and he passed off these duties to Tim Miller. Who I like. He did the first Deadpool film. He's a visual effects guy who hasn't directed very much, but he worked second unit on Thor The Dark World, and he did some of the effects on Scott Pilgrim. I get, yeah, you guys bigger Deadpool fans than I am, but you're fans of that character Deadpool. Because someone directed that doesn't necessarily mean that they're James Cameron. You know what I mean? Like, there's reason to be concerned that we're in not the same hands as the maker of Terminator and T2. I could understand that, but yes, Cameron is off making those Pandora sequels and spending a lot more money than this movie cost to make, and he was an active producer. He discussed how when he and Tim Miller were editing this film, it left blood on the walls from the creative differences. Interesting. This final cut feels compromised and someone is unhappy? Yes, and I think it's probably Tim Miller who's unhappy because Cameron got in there and... Yeah, if you're going to battle with James Cameron for Hollywood clout, I would think that you're going to lose. Here's what James Cameron said, is with Alita Battle Angel, Robert Rodriguez was constantly like, I want to make the movie you would make, James. And James is like, I don't want you to do that. I want you to go make your movie. With Dark Fate, it was the exact opposite. Tim Miller's like, James, I don't care what you would have made. This is my movie. And James Cameron's like, well, I do know a thing or two about the Terminator, so we're going to listen to me. (laughs) Interesting, interesting. I noticed there is a lot of people credited on this script. Not only has Cameron got a story credit, and I'm sure Miller had his involvement, but yeah, there are three screenwriters and three other people credited on the story, and they were working on this for a long time. They knew they wanted to do a Terminator before they knew what story they wanted to tell. Yeah, trying to bring back a franchise now that is, what, 35 years old? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I did see this twice. Listen, I'm not a fan of Kanye West, and I'm not a religious man. <laughs> So why the fuck Kanye West Jesus is King movie got to piss all over the IMAX theater in our town for a full fucking day is beyond me, but this did not get its Thursday preview screening in IMAX because of Kanye. Oh, I was wondering that. I always tried, if it's coming in IMAX, that's usually the format that I'll try to see it in. I actually am a Kanye West fan. I probably would have gone to that, but I didn't realize that had happened. Listen, I like... What is it? Stronger? That song? But that's about 
all I like from Kanye. That was mostly Daft Punk at that. So yeah, you don't like Kanye. That's fine. We're not here to talk about Kanye. He's a difficult person to like. I say that qualified. But anyway, okay, that does explain why I had to go to a Friday matinee to see it in IMAX. Yeah, we went to the Thursday night premiere at a regular screening in a, what, half-full theater? Yeah, I guess there were seats between us and the people next to us. We went to the recliner theater because that is now my favorite theater. But we did see this then, and I went back the next day being Terminator, being time loops. I thought maybe I'd have to really examine this. I didn't have to. It's a pretty simple film overall. So I went back the next day just to see the IMAX experience, and I picked a seat just by luck, three away from you, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, we got to see it together. And usually when we do that, we try to withhold our opinions. We try not to say what we're thinking. We'll make small talk as we make our way to the car. But then there was somebody outside. The line for the 7 o'clock show was like, what did you guys think? And we said, (laughs) and wow, a divergent opinion. We ended up having this show in the parking lot. Now, it was cold. (laughs) I was in short sleeves. I was shivering and chattering. But man, did we have it out. Sorry if you get pneumonia. (laughs) But it was worth it because I really had to hold you to why you felt. Can I just go ahead and say? You can. This movie, in your opinion, matches the original of Terminator. You're as excited watching this movie as you are the 1984 movie. Oh, more excited watching this one. I rewatched Terminator 1 and 2 before this. I did not rewatch 3, 4, 5, but I did rewatch 1 and 2 coming into this. And for its time, Terminator 1 was great, but its time was 40 years ago. I think if you want that story in the most exciting and best looking way possible, that's this movie. <laughs> Interesting theory. I uh, disagreed with you vehemently in the parking lot and probably will on this show. I also think the public is disagreeing with you, Arnie. In order for audiences to actually make that decision, I think they have to see this movie. You can't make the decision while sitting at home and not going, which most people are doing. Or at least they're not showing that they're very excited about returning. Box office is low. This thing is not going to open much bigger than $25 million, and it will be a struggle to even gain the $80 million that Genesis made. Let me point out, though, with some problems with the release timing of this. One, it came out on Halloween. Sure. You kind of want to see a horror movie. You don't want to see an action movie. Well, Terminator 1 was a version of Halloween, I felt like. It had a stalker element to it, but I know what you mean. It did, but yeah, I don't consider it a horror movie. I always considered it like a sci-fi action movie. So it was on Halloween. The Midwest got hit by a freak Halloween snowstorm also. Mm. Not that the Midwest drives the box office, but parts of Illinois got up to 10 inches of snow, which is unusual for Halloween. Oh, we got like three inches. You know, if you didn't get snow in the Midwest, you were also hit with unseasonably crippling cold. I mean, it was seven degrees with the wind chill on Halloween night. There's numerous fires in California. The premiere of this movie actually had to be canceled because of those fires. And this movie wasn't intended to come out this weekend. I couldn't believe that you would release Terminator now because to me, that's a summer movie ever since Terminator 2. It's a summer tentpole and this was going to be released in late July, but... They didn't have confidence that it could withstand Hobbs and Shaw, the Fast and Furious franchise, so it moved to late November. But then Wonder Woman got moved to 2020, and so they moved it back to early November, thinking, well, we can terminate the Charlie's Angels reboot. (laughs) Arnie, why don't you give them the plot? Couldn't you just recycle your plot summary from the first one and just change the word from Skynet to Legion? 
Well, no, not entirely. So, assuming you didn't go, I'm just going to kind of go through the Terminator timeline as it stands now with this movie, in case you get a little bit confused about what happened to John Connor and who's playing John Connor. So, to go through, in 1984... A Terminator T-800, also called a Cyberdyne Systems Model 101, was sent back in time from 2029 to kill Sarah Connor, who was mother of John Connor, savior of the Resistance. In that timeline, in 1997, Skynet went live, wiped out most of humanity, leading to a robot-human war. The Resistance was led by John Connor, and Resistance fighter Kyle Reese was sent back to 1984 to save Sarah, and he sired her son. Then in 1995, people forget Terminator 2 actually took place a few years after the year it was released. Mm -hmm. In 95, another Terminator was sent back, a T-1000, the liquid metal that everybody loved, this time to kill teenage John Connor, Edward Furlong, but the Resistance sent back an old T-800 to save John, and together, Sarah, John, and the T-800, they didn't just beat the Terminator, they destroyed Cyberdyne Systems and stopped Skynet's creation. They prevented Judgment Day. And no matter what sequel you watch, you know they changed the timeline, because 1997 passed in the real world and we didn't have Skynet. So in this one, we start in 1998 with a prologue. And we have Sarah, again played by Linda Hamilton, in Guatemala with her son John, sort of played by Edward Furlong. <laughs> really? <laughs> See, that's okay. See? They had a different body and they had a voice sound alike, but Edward Furlong is credited as reference model. <laughs> <laughs> you mean they looked at his picture before they plugged it all into a computer? <laughs> yeah, that is a Avatar CGI creation right there. <laughs> And in Guatemala, another T-800 shows up, and since Sarah's guard was down, it succeeds in killing John. Now we jump forward, most of this movie takes place in 2020 in Mexico City. We meet Daniela Ramos, or Danny, played by Natalia Reyes, a worker at a car factory. Now a Terminator, this one called a Rev-9, is sent back in time to kill her. The Rev-9 has an endoskeleton like the 800, but over the endoskeleton is liquid like the T-1000. And see, even though Sarah stopped Skynet, this Terminator's born from a new future and comes from 2042, which means in exactly 23 years, all the memes are going to say Legion has gone live. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, again, you are betting on a future I don't believe in. Well, in this future, Legion was a system created for cyber warfare, but like Skynet, once the AI went live, it killed all the humans. But in that future, the Resistance is led by Danny, and so Legion sends back the Rev-9, played by Gabriel Luna, to kill her when she was young, and the Resistance sends back a resistance fighter cyborg named Grace, played by Mackenzie Davis. Grace isn't actually enough to fight off the Rev-9, but Sarah Connor shows up in Mexico City. For the past 22 years, she's been a Terminator killer. She gets random texts that tell her when and where a Terminator is going to arrive from the future, and she goes and kills it. Just like Pokemon Go. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I got texts letting me know where the rare Pokemon were. On the run... Grace, Sarah, and Danny went to find the mystery person who sent her the text, and it's the T-800 that killed John in 1998, played by a 70-something Arnold Schwarzenegger. Since then, he's had no mission and ended up living in Laredo, Texas, marrying a woman and helping raise her son. And he runs a drapery business, 
and his name is Carl. <laughs> and it's meant to be funny. I'm just going to put it out there in case you think that, like, they thought it was cool. I'm surprised he didn't take the name John to pay homage, but... Maybe he likes Carl's Jr. <laughs> <laughs> Carl has been trying to atone for killing John by telling Sarah where to go. And now he teams up with them, and the four fight against the Rev-9. There's lots of chases and explosions, and they end up at a hydroelectric dam. The Rev-9 has the upper hand and fatally wounds Grace, so Grace tells Danny to take out her power source, which kills Grace, and with the power source and aid from Carl, Danny kills the Rev-9, and Carl sacrifices himself in the process, saying, For John. And we see Sarah and Danny are on the run together, preparing for a future fighting legion, and credits roll. And as credits start, I feel like my feet are being put to the fire. I said during Zombieland 2, they never really changed the credits. Studio heads hate it when you change the studio logos. Well, they did it for Grudge 2 that we're going to be talking about. They do it here for Terminator Dark Fate. We're seeing old VHS logos with the scan lines and the rolling of the damage tape. I think it's really important to remind people about Terminator 2. I mean, again, they're not even referencing Terminator. Who can forget that chilling way that Linda Hamilton freaked out on that videotape and it freeze frames the tracking lines, all of that. It's Cameron's gift that he's able to give women on screen this incredible emotional volatility that just, it's so powerful. It was one of the most powerful moments in that movie. And it's a good contrast to seeing her on the beach at a sandals resort or something. Like, she doesn't have to be that way in the future that she created. Yeah, we get to see in the middle what the future she stopped was. We get to see, just like the old movies, the T-800s coming out of the water with their old drop ships, just like the models they used back in the 84 one, only much better tech. I mean, this looks photo real here. And the Terminators are about to terminate some little Guatemalan girl. And then we see the beach as Sarah Connor made it. And young Edward Furlong, John Connor hitting on some teenage Guatemalan girl. Yeah. Could they actually be happy? Could we imagine a future where this woman that had been training herself ever since the day she was stalked in 1984 into being a killer could enjoy life? Yeah, she deserves a drink with an umbrella in it. It would have been nice if that could have happened, but it wouldn't have made a very good sequel. So no, we need to do something dramatic here. And it's pretty dramatic that we're going to have Arnold sort of come back with the magic of computer effects. We're going to see a youngish Arnold with a body double come back. A T-800 will ice Edward Furlong's CGI character right there at the bar. That was the worst the body double was all the wrong shape. They pasted, like, I'm guessing Arnold's face on there, and it just was not good. I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be Arnold or a very similar-looking T-800. Mm -hmm. Unlike Edward Furlong, who I'm like, they went back in time to bringing Edward Furlong now because I thought that looked really realistic. And I'd heard Edward Furlong was in this film. I expected him to have a vital, if small, role. <laughs> Yes, I was expecting Edward Furlong, which I understand he doesn't do all that much now, right now, anyway, but I was blissfully unaware that that was the end of his scenes in the movie. Okay, so you were prepared for him to have the role that Linda Hamilton is going to have in this movie of trying to really remind you that they can carry a film. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect that because I haven't seen Edward Furlong since, what, Pet Cemetery 2, maybe? 
I understand he's had some substance abuse problems. Hopefully he's overcome those. But I expected him to be like Princess Leia in The Force Awakens. Carrie Fisher also had her substance abuse problems and is not the woman she had been. So I expected Furlong would show up. You know what role I would have given him here? There's a military guy who shows up, is like, I wouldn't commit treason for just anyone. Here's your super weapon. Oh, I'm shot. That's the role I would have given Edward Furlong. Oh, I'm shot. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think you want to start off with something dramatic. You want to grab people's attention. And for people that love and remember T2, which I imagine is a... Everyone. I mean, this was something that was always kind of a knock on T2, right? Like, well, if they could keep sending them back... Why didn't they keep sending Terminators until they succeed? Eventually, okay, you get thwarted by Arnold in the factory, but eventually, yeah, their guard will be down, they're they're hanging out at the beach, and you can get him. And so it is shocking to think eventually they won. The irony being Skynet is already defeated, but this robot had already been sent to 1998 Guatemala, and so he was going to finish his mission even though his master would never appreciate it. I'm so confused. Time travel has gotten to the point in movies where it makes my head hurt. And here with Terminator, yeah, first of all, every movie, 1984, they sent back a Terminator. And then the Resistance sent back someone. And then the Resistance blew it up. So nobody else could come back in time. Just the one. And then in voiceover in Terminator 2, oh, they sent back a second one. Okay. Yeah. And now here we see a third one. But... Was he sent back to 1998? I don't think that would be possible because that future didn't happen then from the movies we've seen. You can't jump to a different timeline. You can't come from a future that doesn't exist. Has this T-800, did it come back before Terminator 2 and was just like stalking them and trying to find them? Yes. Okay. That would be what I would guess, although we will find out that Terminators keep popping up in this timeline and that Sarah Connor will, it will be her one and only sport to hunt them down. I think all the Terminators she's killing are Skynet-created Terminators. No, I think they're all Legion. Uh, Well, what would she know about Legion? She doesn't. She just knows that Terminators are showing up. Yeah, Terminators show up, she kills them. All right, rephrase. Why does... Carl know about Legion to text her that stuff. I assume that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character knew all the Terminators that were coming back from Skynet. I don't know why he would know anything about Legion. He drops a line that is completely explains this away. He says when time displacement occurs, it sends a ripple effect. And because he is from the future, he can sense those ripples a couple days before they happen. Mm. And so he knows whenever anybody is coming from the future and is able to end exactly where and is able to text her. Okay, that's a conversation for later in this film. Right now, your question is simply, how is this possible in 1998 when in the Skynet created 1998, things were already rubble with skulls? And the answer is, there's not really a good reason. Maybe this character showed up in 1996 and has been struggling to find them. Maybe it's a whole sitcom, right? Like, everywhere they go, he's tailing them, and he finally caught up with them in Guatemala. I think what we can ascertain from Avengers Endgame this year and Terminator is we don't know jack shit about time travel. And when the first time traveler comes back, we're all going to be like, what? It was all wrong. So I think that you just have to suspend any sort of common sense, what you think you know about time travel and just go with it. Because I had lots of questions about this. Whereas, you know, if Skynet didn't exist, 
Is it just some other AI program that did it? And that's how we have Legion? Why do they have the same Terminators? And that's hurtful, though. I mean, just to point out part of what makes Terminator 1 and 2, particularly the first movie, because it doesn't have as much in terms of budget, is the sci-fi component. The way it makes us think about the human condition in relationship to time. And, you know, the first movie makes this really tragic case of fatalism. Everything you think you're doing to try and change things is only nailing it down and assuring that it will happen exactly as predetermined. And then we had that second film come along and it found the magic and people being able to control their own destiny. Now it's just like, yeah, we don't really care how it works. We just need to get these characters in with new characters so that we can essentially remake the first movie, but on a big budget in a way that might appeal to old and new fans. It kind of goes back to what they said in Terminator 3. The future has an elasticity to it, and you can maybe alter it a little bit, but it's going to bounce back, and in this case, it bounced back as Legion. And yeah, this movie, it's a little bit frustrating because this is also a trend. In addition to the let's forget the bad sequels trend, there's the let's remake the movie we made 30, 40 years ago, or even 20 years ago in the case of Jurassic World. Let's remake that exact same movie, but with new people, and we'll say it's in continuity. So the first film happened, but now somehow the exact same events are going to happen again. <coughs> Force Awakens. <coughs> you know what? This, to me, goes all the way back to Gus Van Zandt and Psycho. He knew what we weren't prepared to accept. There are audiences that are not going to go back and watch a movie. We think movies are forever. And that because they had the impact that they did, that everyone will always appreciate them in their moment in the sun. And what we're finding is that people don't necessarily want to go back. And you do have to essentially remake them. The mistake that Van Zant made was that he didn't bring in Tony Perkins. He didn't bring in the old fans so that they could feel good about the fact that this was essentially a redo. But that is the idea now. Now with Halloween, Force Awakens, we want to see remakes that continue a little bit from the uh, initial point. It's a sequel remake, but mostly it's a remake that co-ops the original characters, as many as they can corral, to try and sanction going forward with new characters. Yeah, I mean, Van Zandt's Psycho came out in the beginning of the remake crazy period where we're going to reboot Halloween. We're going to just remake Friday the 13th. We're going to remake Nightmare on Elm Street and so many remakes that came out and didn't do all that well. But those weren't remakes. Those weren't let's do exactly the same thing again. Those were reboots. This is a remake, and I just want to make a distinction between that. When you're doing the exact same thing again and just tweaking a little bit, like, okay, there's now, it's a different person playing John Connor, then that's, to me, still a remake and not a reboot. Yeah, and here we've got this weird remake sequel kind of thing. Terminator is taking both the let's ignore the bad sequels route and the let's remake the original route here because what we're going to have, and this surprised me, is 
a story very similar to Terminator 84. Yeah, to the point of being the same movie. Again, I wasn't kidding when I said you could just recycle the plot. There is really very little that this movie is going to present that is innovative in terms of thinking about time travel or the robotics, the technology. We're essentially going to get a Terminator that has a metal skeleton but also has a liquid metal exterior that can split up and be two in one places. But All of these designs, all of these concepts, they come from Cameron. There is no new influence being introduced here. This would have been a wonderful opportunity to alter the designs of Terminator. And you could still have the Cameron stuff in the form of stuff that came back earlier, like the T-800 we're going to have. But I'll go with some AI somewhere is going to be turned on. Is it Apple doing it or is it Cisco doing it? But somewhere's that we're going to have an AI that's going to come online and realize humans are a plague and we need to kill the humans. So Cyberdyne was stopped. Somebody else made Legion. But why would Legion make robots that look exactly like Cyberdynes? Perhaps it was inevitable based on the technology that we had that that's just the natural progression or evolution of machine designs. I don't know. This is all make-believe. I'm just pointing out some inconsistencies. But if you think too hard about this stuff, you're going to give yourself a migraine. I just think that they could have gone completely new with the Terminator design. I think that they stopped being inventive with T2 on that. Well, I don't think that they could have gone with a new design, even though I'm kind of like, oh, how did they know the same ones? But they couldn't have gone with a new one because what everyone loves about the Terminator franchise is in this movie. You have the scary ass skeleton looking Terminators. You've got Linda Hamilton, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You got big guns, crap blowing up, lots of great chase scenes, liquid metal. To go with a different design, I think would have made all of us probably be like, what What the hell's that? That can't be a Terminator. So I think that they couldn't win either way. All of us are getting older. And do we go to the movies as much? And are we the audience that they're trying to get? I think I go to the movies more now than I ever have. I was at the gym the other day and some guys were talking about how Arnold's physique wasn't even shit. They compared what him in his prime and said he doesn't even look as good as bodybuilders today. I don't think Arnold has cachet in this role anymore for younger people. Getting him back is a token to us, but it is meaningless for them. And I kind of agree with Arnie. It would have been more interesting to think about a new robotic design that didn't look humanoid. Why, if they hate us, do they want to have a skeleton that looks like us? I get that Terminators want to look human because they're infiltrating the resistance. And I get that in both cases, humans would beat machines and the machines would try to have undercover operatives. And if they're going to be undercover, they're going to be bipedal and look human. You need some way to look human. I think it's a hallmark that you would have a human-looking Terminator. And because the franchise is called Terminator, I'm even okay with them being called Terminators. But I just think under that skin, we should have had something very new. James Cameron did not go back when he did T2 and say, we're just going to have the metal skeleton again. He created liquid metal. I would have loved to see what he'd create today. I think we actually see in the few scenes we get of the future, there are some like spinning drone spheres that are shooting people. And the flying ships there are similar but different. They have more segmented arms. It's what told me immediately we were in a new future when we saw that was 
The hover ships were very different. Agreed. And what we get instead is a lot of callbacks. We jump to Mexico City in, you say it's 2020? It says 22 years later after 1998. So yes. I think Frost is different. When we've seen these time travel electric bubbles appear, I don't remember things getting a layer of ice on them. That might be an innovation of sorts. Yeah, one they took from Back to the Future. But other than that, we've seen this before. We know exactly what's coming when on an overpass, this bubble bisects the highway, causes a major traffic snafu, and drops the person without ground. They have to fall several stories before they splat on the pavement. And damn, she hits one of those girders hard, too. And yes, this is Grace Mackenzie Davis. She is a cyborg. We've seen this before. If you remember Terminator Salvation, we had the cyborg there. But we are forgetting that. That doesn't exist in this world. Well, what's funny about all the innovation of this movie is it feels like they're cherry picking the three sequels they're overriding. That's uh, what I'm kind of pointing out. But is, is she a cyborg? She's just augmented. We'll find out her story, what little there is later. To me, it looks like someone just stuck a bunch of honeycombs on her. Like, she's a human being, but she has, if you look just below the skin, in this sort of honeycomb pattern going and this kind of gooey honey blood. And so because she was a human once, she has the form she does, but she's riddled with technology that allows her to run faster, take more abuse, and in this scene, kick the ass of a bunch of cops. It's almost like she's RoboCop because I took it as she died. And so when she gave her life up she was dying she said i'll do it i'll do it whatever that was during the movie i was totally thinking robocop in the scene where we have the point of view of the dying people and all the doctors surrounding her and putting the tech in her i was surprised that she didn't come back and have emotional difficulty the way robocop did where she had programming in addition to emotion she's completely her own self but enhanced and done so because she suffered fatal wounds in a war in the future. However, the only way she can live is injecting herself with like horse tranks and anti-convulsants. I'm so confused on what's going on there. And it really isn't explained, but it's only one flaw with her character is this juice that she needs her fix only shows up when you're like, hey, we haven't seen that for a while. And then they're like 20 minutes later, oh, by the way, she needs her stuff. It wasn't consistent. Everything about Grace and her future of 2042 is underdeveloped. Mm -hmm. There's nothing about it that I have a good grasp on, and there's nothing about it that's particularly appealing either. She doesn't have any of the emotional connection that Reese did in wanting to come back. If you look at that first movie, he wanted to come back because Sarah Connor was a legend. He was starstruck with that potential and it led to the actual sexual act that caused john connor to be born that's a great storyline her storyline not great she was a little girl in this horrible future she had some canned goods and was going to get mugged and because someone saved her from that that's the reason she wants to come back and save them here in mexico city that's not the same thing that doesn't have the same emotional tether i almost wondered if they'd go romantic there's something somewhat androgynous about Grace. Somewhat. It's intentional. It's in the design. We've had female Terminators before, but they were sex bots. This is very much going to have a masculine body. Gender non-conforming is what I kept thinking. Like, we are not going to allow you to ogle the female form when we look at Grace. Even when she's fully naked at the beginning, 
They have a shot of her fully naked from a distance, but not in the least bit sexy or alluring. It's reminded me a lot of Arnold's nakedness in the first Terminator film. And again, is that because the machine integration has changed her body? I don't think so. I don't think it was for story reasons. I think they're trying to make a point here that they wanted to have a a female be tough without being thought of as being sexual. They hadn't done that before. That haircut is not sexy on male, female, and it did nothing for Buster Brown when he had it. (laughs) And I dare say that they have done this before. Sarah Connor was not sexy in Terminator 2. She was badass. What? Uh, She was nominated for MTV's Most Desirable Female Award that year. Yeah, she was effing hot in that movie. Hell yeah. She was badass. She was strong. She was smart. Oh my God, she was everything. She had the muscles. Do you know she pumped that 12 gauge all by herself? I agree with everything you're saying. Badass, tough, smart. She was sexy in that role. There was nothing sexualized about her in that movie. She was not a sex doll the way you said all women have been in the franchise. I think she had her own strength and I think she played, frankly, to Cameron's idea about what's sexy in women. I mean, I think the strong woman that we saw with Ripley and Lindsay and the Abyss and all of that, like even Jamie Lee Curtis morphed into that in in True Lies. Uh, Yeah, I, I think that for Cameron, it was sexy, but we'll leave it there. My point is this time they're giving us a Terminator that we should, again, gender is not specific. It doesn't matter what her gender is. It doesn't really matter what her story is, I will argue. It's not very interesting. And it's not really interesting who she's coming back to save either. I think the biggest hole in this movie is that they haven't found a suitable Sarah Connor replacement in Danny. I like Danny in this movie, but they show their hand a little too much in a couple of secrets. The first thing that you're supposed to think is that Danny is Sarah Connor and she's going to give birth to the savior. When they have discussions about that and Grace never confirms it, I'm like, okay, she's not giving birth to a boy. This is a movie about tough women. She's going to be our savior. I knew this from the first 15 minutes. Agreed. Yeah, I like Danny a lot. I thought she was fun. I like that she went from not knowing what the hell was going on, much like Sarah Connor in the first one, and she had the same story arc, which was fine. And I do think that this was meant to be a passing of the torch, but it also felt like a really good finale. You're saying that Danny works for you as being the next generation. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Now, I don't know if that actress can carry a movie on her own. I don't know that they can write compelling stories after this, but I liked her in this movie. I don't know where this is going to take us. I'm willing to give it a shot based on this movie, but... I liked her. Let me make clear, because I think in this day and age particularly, people get really fired up about identity politics. And when you start saying, I don't like a character, what they end up only focusing on is who they are demographically. They have made very centrally in this movie an undocumented illegal Mexican immigrant as the savior of humanity. And yes, that is freighter loaded with a whole lot of political controversy by intention. But that is not why I am going to say I don't like Danny. I don't like Danny because her brother and her father are going to get iced here in the beginning and she's not even going to care. And she really is hanging in the background, being passed around by the other stars and not showing a whole lot of great emotional range. She cares a lot. She has uh, the big crying scene because of their funeral. She cares a lot that they died. When her brother dies, all she wants to do is get back to her father. She cares about her family. 
Look, John Connor was a concept. He was J.C., the initials of Jesus Christ. We accepted him as a savior because there was a religion that had established a J.C. as a savior. We didn't think about what he actually did in the future that made him the savior. And when the sequels started to try and answer that, they failed. So it's really hard to say one person is going to make the difference in this battle with robots. You have to believe in the character they present as having that level of importance. It's nearly impossible when I see this kid. She's Disney Channel in cornrows. There's no way this is a savior. For me, I think that with Danny, we get to see something that has been lacking in the other Terminator films. We saw Sarah Connor, waitress ditz in 1984, be chased by a Terminator. And really, she doesn't toughen up. She gets lucky. She does get one 80s cheeseball line. You're terminated, fucker, as she crushes the Terminator with a hydraulic press, but she never toughened up. And then by the time we see her in the next film, oh my God, she's this badass motherfucker. With Danny, we get to see that change. She starts off as the Sarah Connor. She's never quite a ditz because she's willing to stand up to her boss and try to fight for her brother's job with her boss. We see that she's someone who will make a stand. She's actually a little bit of a leader in this leading up to it, you see. She is the leader of her family. She's taking care of her dad. She's taking care of her brother. I believe there's a neighbor that when she walks out, she's reminding of stuff and taking care of. When she gets to work with her brother, she's the one that the other workers go to. So she's already a leader, and they establish that in the first 10 minutes of the movie. But we get to see her go, she can't drive, she doesn't feel capable. But I think it's also common in larger cities to not be able to drive. I'm not saying that's a negative. I'm just saying we get to see an evolution of character we never got with Linda Hamilton is we get to see her stepping up and toughen up. I don't feel like that's the focus of this movie. And I don't feel like this actress has the dramatic gravitas to make me feel in the moment she does have that major transformation of spirit is happening. When we see the fuck fate speech, it falls flat. It feels like a bad CGI thing that they've made her grow an inch and try and fight off the attackers of Grace, but not convincing to me at all. And that's a real problem. Now everything is predicated on saving one person, which is hard to buy. It has always been that with John Connor. I've that's never... what I'm saying, Arnie. It was abstracted. We understood he was some Jesus Christ. We didn't really think about what he did. I did. I did not think about him in that way. When we saw him as a bratty kid, the opposite of being a savior, that was interesting. But when we saw him as Nick Stahl and Christian Bale and all of that, you realized there's not one savior to anybody. There's not one guy that's going to rescue humanity or woman. That concept falls apart the closer you look at it. But John Connor was also shown in the first two Terminator films in those flash forwards. We saw John Connor. We saw him as a military leader. As an iconography. Again, this is abstracted. We did not see what he did that anyone else couldn't have stepped in and do. And maybe somebody could have, but they didn't. And that's why Skynet saw him as the threat. Now, it's very possible Skynet could have killed him and then had to go on back in time to kill somebody else who would have filled that role. In this timeline, Danny is the one who inspires people to step up. And what I'm saying is I'm not inspired. When I hear her talk, when I see this quote-unquote transformation, I'm thinking Disney Channel. She looks really freshly scrubbed. 
Uh, she's devoid of any connectable relation. Think about Edward Furlong, the Bart Simpson, who was struggling and who was not going to run towards that future. Here, she's all saint. She's helping her dad go to his doctor's appointment. All of it. It's just so thin. Just a contrived savior. I never thought Disney Channel once. I don't watch it a lot, but I never thought of it. And I like this character in it. I wasn't even sure where this plot was going to go because we're introduced to her and her brother. I thought maybe the brother was going to be the main character. I think they do a good job here of obscuring who the important person is. Not if you saw the trailer, but if you didn't see the advertising, you might assume that. No, because we see her doing all the thing. No, they tell us. I saw it more the second time, but the first time I wasn't sure. I thought that she and her brother together may be on the run. I didn't know that the brother was going to die the moment the Terminator showed up. And we get to see him appear. He goes right to the source. This is the smartest Terminator yet. Arnold both times appeared just somewhere in Los Angeles. This Terminator is like, I'm going to show up in her apartment complex and try to just kill her within two minutes of getting to town. But wait a second. Robert Patrick was looking for John Connor by going to his house. Remember, he went to the cop and... I'm not saying he didn't, but he didn't materialize outside John Connor's house the way this guy did. More to the point, Robert Patrick, the first person he saw was a cop and he emulated that and he realized that gave him great access to go around and manipulate the system. I don't think we ever get a name. I see IMDb is crediting the Rev-9 as Gabriel, but there is no person he's modeling himself on. He comes back this way for reasons that are not explained in this film. And he's liquid metal. He could look like anyone he could shapeshift, but chooses again and again to be Gabriel Luna. But again, that's exactly what Robert Patrick did. When Robert Patrick materialized as the T-1000, he wasn't an amorphous blob. He was Robert Patrick. He stole the policeman's uniform. He didn't steal his identity. I thought that when we saw people touch that maybe we're going to have it set up like we did in T2 where Robert Patrick was Linda Hamilton. He did the security guard and all that. But I'm glad that they didn't use that same trick that they used back then and they just went with him being able to do the different voices he seems to be very quick at learning things and learning how to socially engineer his way into things to get information and seems to have a great knowledge of humans and their behaviors. I also think that they've changed the technology here because what we're going to have Grace say is they have to touch a person to take on their form and the person doesn't survive. It's not like in T2 where you could just slightly stab Linda Hamilton and not kill her and then take on her form. It's not like just skin contact is enough. With this Rev-9, you have to kill the person in order to overcome their form. I think you're taking that too literally. I think she was just saying, if they can touch you, they'll kill you. I wondered about that, but given that he doesn't shapeshift all that much, I was thinking it's because he never got a chance to kill anybody that shapeshifting into would help him. You know, again, Robert Patrick, he realized very early on, cops can do stuff. They can get away with stuff. They get information radioed to them. It was advantageous to always remain Robert Patrick for the T-1000. I don't know why, and I hate this name, Rev-9. I keep wanting to say a RAV-4, but he has (laughs) much personality as a RAV-4. I don't know why RAV-4 is doing this. I guess he looks Hispanic, so he's going to blend in as someone from Mexico. But beyond that look... 
I think he could be quicker at tracking them if he suddenly started looking like Linda Hamilton. I really thought that we had that happening when the random army guy showed up with the EMPs and they focused on the handoff of the briefcase and ever so slightly their fingers touched like it's just a little bit of a lingering touch and I'm like okay that's the Terminator and he just set this up and it didn't happen so I was shocked that they didn't use that I think Gabriel Luna here is a perfectly acceptable Robert Patrick let's remember Robert Patrick wasn't great what was great in that movie was the technology that they put Robert Patrick in Robert Patrick didn't emote he was just stone-faced the whole time, and I think our Rev 9 here is the exact same thing. I like him as a Terminator. I like his body motions. I wondered if he was a dancer, because when he gets knocked down, the way he stands up is some contortionist nightmare, but I really liked him as the unstoppable force that, just like Robert Patrick, doesn't look like a hulking bodybuilder. He looks like somebody you'd see on the street. The one thing I think he was missing is he didn't have the presence on screen that Robert Patrick had. He was just kind of there. And maybe that was intentional that they were shying away from him. But he wasn't scary enough. You know, he wasn't threatening enough. And I understand he was killing people. He had the shape-shifting thing. He could split into two. But I don't think he was as terrifying as Robert Patrick was or even Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first one. Well, let's think about why that might be. Because I'm with Arnie. I don't know that the actor is doing anything that's less than what the actors before have done. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a great actor. Just want to throw that out there. But yes, he had presence and the movie, Cameron, knew how to photograph him, how to use him, so that you always feared when he showed up. I think part of it is, when I see his moves and all that, they're really sped up, and I just feel like, oh, this is just computer stuff. Like, it just feels, at this point, like I could be a Terminator, and they could just... This guy doesn't have to be a dancer, Arnie. They can just make your limbs move. I mean, it just feels like we've now reached the age of special effects where the performance is almost irrelevant. We'll fix whatever we want to do. They did this with Grace, where... Anytime she was fighting, they sped it up. And I really hate it when they do that in movies. Yeah. Because I feel that there are some fantastic fight choreographers out there in Hollywood. And I think this does them a great disservice. But I felt like it cheapens that like the actor or the actress can't do the moves themselves. So they have to blur it by making it really fast. So you don't be like, oh, wait, she totally missed that punch or he totally flubbed that. But I still feel that neither one of the Terminators actually had presence. I also think we're not scared because we haven't had enough time with Danny to really care or Grace or any of this. They're not filming it like the first movie where it's a stalker scenario. And by Terminator 2, we had allegiance to Sarah Connor. And here, when we get this attack in the automotive plant, I guess you could argue it's exciting. It's competent. It's okay. But am I invested with the melodrama? When I I use that word specifically, when Cameron films things, I feel like characters have an emotional volume that's like opera. And you just hang on them. Yeah, I don't care about these people. I disagree with Cameron being able to do that all the time. I think he did do that in Terminator 2. But what this movie has going for it, I love the fact that within 15 minutes of the start of this film, 
we are in the chase. The Terminator has shown up. We've seen Danny and the Terminator is starting to chase them. Grace has accosted a security guard, taken on the security guard's outfit. It's kind of a replay of the Terminator 2 scene. I'm sorry. I'm calling you out on that because there is nothing as suspenseful and terrifying as Arnold's meeting of John Connor in the mall when he's in the back hallway and he pulls out that gun and then he shoots the Terminator behind him. That is like the best ever. And you can't top that with anything in any other movie. No, I agree. That had more suspense to it because you didn't know at that moment in Terminator 2 that Arnold was going to be a good guy. No, and there's none of that in this movie. And this movie had none of that. There was no suspense over either the Terminators. They're both bland. Although I liked the Rev-9 a little bit more because he did a little bit more social engineering, but they were both bland. He wasn't even that terrifying for some reason. But usually the Terminators have this air of danger to them and terror. I feel that these Terminators were missing that. And I know she's an augmented human, blah, 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 whatever she is. But I felt that there was no danger necessarily from him. And I didn't feel a lot of suspense in their fights. Agreed. The choreography is very competent. I will even use the word good. When we see fights, people have worked very hard to deliver us the best that they can. But if you haven't given me characters that I'm invested in, and again, I want to like these characters. I want to know that there's a reason why Grace needs to come back and save Danny. Tell me that story. I don't feel like we ever get that passion explained. And I, to me, a lot of it can come from directing. It's ultimately what we're talking about, the fact that it's Tim Miller directing and not James Cameron. I think that they do the character development through the action. What my original point was is in 15 minutes, we have the Terminator looking like Danny's father showing up at her place of work. The bag lunch he brought turns into a pistol. Danny thinks she's seeing her father get shot when Grace is saving her life. They do something totally different than the previous Terminator movies. In the last two they that count, they say, come with me if you want to live. Here, Grace says, come with me or you're dead in the next 30 seconds. I say tomato and you say tomato. And now we're into a kick-ass car chase. Like Marjorie, I dragged my feet seeing this movie. I went into this movie thinking, fuck, another sequel nobody asked for. I mean, how many of these am I going to see this year in a row with Rambo and Charlie's Angels and Doom Annihilation and Three from Hell? It just seems like a never-ending river of movies I don't want to see. And within 20 minutes as this chase begins, I'm like, this is good. No, the chase was very good. I do think that we needed more of new Terminator-ness than what we got. I mean, the fact that it was her dad, which we knew what was going to happen as soon as he answered the door and the Rev-9 was there. But the action was good when they used vehicles. The hand-to-hand combat was not fantastic, but we needed more from both of them to really feel a sense of danger. I don't feel that the danger was there from the Rev-9. He was smart, and that was his weapon. I loved it when his arms are turning into blades, and Grace is using the hood of a car from the car factory as a shield, and they're fighting in that car factory, and finally the brother drops a car engine on the Terminator's head, and it's still not enough to stop him. I'm really having fun with the hand-to-hand stuff. I agree, when they sped up Grace, because she's supposed to be super fast, and nobody is super fast, it didn't work as well. But here in this fight, she is not moving super fast. She is holding her own barely. And that, to me, is selling the menace of this Terminator. 
I don't think that this movie has anything that wasn't done in a Cameron movie. Like when we saw the attack in the mental institution and he comes through those bars and his his gun hits because that's the one part of him that's not liquid metal. That was like a, oh, wow. Like that feeling is not being recreated here. And the problem is they're making a continuation of two classic movies with a movie that's not a classic. This is just competent redo. I'm not saying this is Terminator 2 good. I will never say this is Terminator 2 good. Terminator 2 is still the best in the franchise. So trying to compare it to Terminator 2 is not going to work any more than trying to say The Last Jedi is as good as Empire Strikes Back. Okay, but the point is, the reason that this franchise became what it was was because of T2 and everything that was innovative in that and everything we saw and how great it was. It had good action. Their interaction between the actors was good. We got something we hadn't had before, which was a badass female lead besides Ripley. And I really think to carry on the franchise and pass that torch from T2 to... I'm going to call this T3, even though it's not, I know. But I think to pass that torch, we needed more of what we haven't seen before. I agree. This is a remake of Terminator 1. I'll agree. There's not a whole lot of innovation here. But what I'll say is, this is some really exciting action with characters who I come to like during the action. When they are taking this pickup truck and on the run, and the Terminator grabs a bulldozer, My immediate thought was, oh, this is going to be stupid. Bulldozers are slow. It creates one of the best car chases I have seen in film in recent memory. I can't, off the top of my head, think of a better one than seeing the Terminator go head-on against traffic with a bulldozer flipping cars with the blade on the front, the plow. And seeing the reaction with Danny and Grace and her brother makes me care about the three characters in the cab. This is the moment the movie is hooking me. I feel like we've seen good car chases and not good Terminator sequels. T3 had a really good one. I remember, it's not that these movies don't deliver on the action. The problem is they don't deliver on the heart. And they don't deliver on the sci-fi ideals. And that's my beef. I feel like I am inundated. I mean, every week of every summer, we see a movie that has a car chase like this in it. So I don't know that I can feel an incredible surge of newness over that. Uh, I need something more than just, yeah, what is, you're right. It's absolutely a very competent, well-polished car chase on the highway. But I got to give Tim Miller a bulldozer load of credit here because the way this is filmed, the way this is cut, the way that the pickup truck does a fishtail into a girder because it Grace knows that's a way that she can outmaneuver a bulldozer. I mean, this is really, really exciting stuff. More than Fast and Furious? More than most of the Fast and Furiouses. I think that the reason why this initial car scene works is that it is a callback to the first scene in T2 where Robert Patrick's in the big truck and Arnold's on the motorcycle with John and we don't know what the hell's going on. And that's what's happening in this movie is we don't know what the hell's going on. We know that Grace is sent back to get Danny. We don't know why. We don't know anything about this new Terminator. And this is the intro. And I think with this kind of movie, you have to start off with a bang. And because it's the unknown and you don't know everybody's intricacies of their personality or what they can do and anything like that, it's exciting. That ends with Sarah Connor blowing in and saying, sighing, really, bored, dejected, I'll be back. 
honestly, I thought that Linda Hamilton was going to have a bit part in this. I had no idea she had such a major part. I really like her as an actress. There's a lot riding on this. Can she carry this movie again? Can she be the star of this franchise when it's supposedly Arnold's franchise? Arnold's not going to show up for another 30 minutes. And I will say, I think that Linda Hamilton is the best thing in this movie. This movie is a better tribute to her strengths than it is a setup for new characters to take over the series. I love her in this film. I wish to God this movie had been made before The Force Awakens so J.J. could see how to properly pay tribute to the old characters while also successfully introducing new ones. This is doing it right. I could not think about Force Awakens when I was watching this movie. Because, yeah, it asks the same thing. It's asking the old stars to come back, not really for their film, but to set up something new for others, for youngers to take the baton and go with it. Here, I do think that Linda Hamilton embodies what we are to understand about Sarah Connor. She has told us that she has spent every day since John died drinking and hunting down Terminators. And it looks like it. it. This feels like Linda Hamilton has indeed disappeared from Hollywood and has probably been with a bottle of Jack in some firing range <laughs> shooting at James Cameron posters all of these last decades. I took umbrage to the drinking line because when we got the Halloween reboot, Jamie Lee Curtis's character also was a drunk. And it's kind of like, all right, can they not do that? It felt like it had already been done. Why would we get two females in a reboot doing the same thing? I think you want to show the trauma of having lived through the previous adventures, what that has left them with. It's shorthand. You're right. Maybe it's even lazy. Maybe screenwriters should dig deeper and try to find other characterization. But it lets you know that it hasn't been easy for these characters since we last saw them. And obviously, yeah, Linda Hamilton, it's no vanity in her presentation. Every crack in her face weathered. I don't know if they even added makeup to make her look even more haggard, but she is definitely wearing her world weariness right there out for everyone to see. I was surprised in the 1998 scene because I didn't know we were going to start in the past. I'm like, damn, Linda Hamilton looks like she hasn't aged a day. I didn't realize what, that they were going to do this with her the rest of the film. I do think they've played it up. Seeing her on some talk shows and things, she does not look so craggly. I mean, here they've made her look like the female Clint Eastwood, and Clint Eastwood's like 20 years her senior. I think it's because they have grayed her hair a little bit, and she's still rocking the blonde. I did look up some photos of her, but it also looks like she did get hecka into shape for this movie too like not that she was not in shape before but i think she went back to t2 and kind of did a a little bit of that too but she still looks amazing for her age and i think the way makeup can downplay wrinkles in hollywood i think they used makeup to upplay wrinkles and make her look harsher they did because she is still fabulous looking at recent photos of her yeah she's good in this movie but does this movie serve her dedication? It's the best thing and the worst thing when she shows up because I feel like the movie grinds to a halt and they don't know what to do. We spend a lot of time with Grace overheating, having ice dumped on her in a motel and them debating about what path they should go forward with their future. We've had a lot of action. This is now the time to slow down and give us some characters. To me, Linda Hamilton is what this movie needs. And yes, I'm not trying to review Star Wars here, but I couldn't, especially the second time watch this, 
not think about The Force Awakens the entire time and the way that Sarah Connor is completely the leader here. Grace is overconfident but doesn't know what she's doing. Here we have the elder character, our hero from the previous films, coming in and giving them the help they need, making her a strong, tough, important, and smart character. She's overconfident too. She's claiming that Grace doesn't understand this era of cell phones and cameras everywhere and that she can protect Danny better. But we see no evidence of that. I mean, Arnold's tracking her and keeping your phone in a potato chip bag sounds like uh, the new tinfoil hat. I mean, that sounds like crazy. Well, I googled this and yes, putting your cell phone in an aluminum chip bag will stop it from being tracked. It will not get GPS signal. It will not get cell signal. It won't get Wi-Fi. Of course, you could do the exact same thing by putting it in airplane mode and it gets less greasy, but... Yeah, potato chip bag also works. But then she would have to use it, though. She's getting text messages. That's her problem. I mean, that's what Carl says is she took it out of the bag. But it's not like it is her film. They are trying like hell to make us care about Grace. This is where she's having her flashback thoughts about her past. And we see the future and these scenes that I don't think they work at all. I don't understand her journey to be augmented and her journey to come back and help Danny feels very, very underdeveloped and unconvincing. The thing that I couldn't figure out, even on my second viewing, in this future memory she's having, she's convulsing on a bed and flashing forward to when she became augmented, and she was in a battle, she gets badly wounded. Her mission, what she is told to do, is save the commander while the others fight off the Terminators that are attacking. Is the commander Danny? I don't think we get a good look at the commander, and by not knowing who the commander is that she is sacrificing herself to save, I do think that undermines that scene a little bit, but I do like seeing her choose to become augmented in this situation and show she was a dedicated fighter. But the problem is, like, it's a sci-fi movie. Terminator works when it's not an action movie because you're thinking. What is it like for humans to fight robots adding cybernetic parts? That has to be a moral quandary. That's something you'd want to explore in detail psychologically with this character. As I become more robot to fight robots, what does that do to my humanity is something I want to get from Grace I never will. My problem with the whole, with her dying devotion to be augmented, it was a little cultish, I felt. The cult of Danny. She's so great that we have to swear our lives to her because... Yeah, something about that didn't sit right. Like, people respected John Connor because he was a great leader and he was leading the resistance. And here's Danny and people are dying and pledging their bodies for her. And I didn't quite get that level of devotion and understand it. Well, that's the bold idea of this movie, right? Is that we could say, as a culture, we are accustomed to seeing white guys lead us into battle and saving the day, but we're not accustomed to seeing Mexican girls. And I don't know that she is a girl, right? I mean, she's working in an automobile plant. She could have started and not had a high school education. Do we have any sense of how old Danny is? I guessed mid-20s. She was written to be 18 years old. They wanted to cast an 18-year-old, but they ended up casting her and she was 31. (laughs) Okay, well, she doesn't look 31. I'll give her that. I didn't suspect that the character was that old, but yeah, I didn't get the sense that she was childlike, but I felt like they were positioning her in that way, like that she was to be thought of as someone that needs the help and the protection of the classic figures. It's the challenge of this movie that we are to accept that she can be John Connor. And it's supposed to be a surprise. During these early scenes, 
I think this movie is really confronting a misogynistic viewpoint that a woman can't be the future. The woman has to give birth to a man who can be the future. Sarah Connor says to Danny, it's not you, it's your womb. Yeah, that was a little ham-fisted, all of that. Yeah, she's not woke. And again, that line comes out so clumsy that your womb is the threat. I don't think that's true. Like, yes, like you, Arnie, I was on to the quote-unquote surprise very early on. There's no reason to believe that the most important thing a woman can do is give birth to a man. We're beyond that thinking. And I would even think that Sarah Connor would be beyond that thinking. But, you know, she's kind of a drunk and been thinking so much about her own story that she's projecting it. Yeah, she even calls herself at one point Mother Mary. And so she's like, let's somebody else be Mother Mary for a while. She's very bitter because why wouldn't she be? Her This whole thing killed her son. And I want to make clear, because I don't like Danny is not because they're challenging my notions about what a hero looks like. I want Danny to take control. I want her to be Alita Battle Angel. I think Cameron is at his best when he empowers women. I just don't feel like this character in the next hour of this movie stands out very much. It ends up being about other people talking around her. And eventually she's going to stand up at the end of this hour and say, okay, I want to have a kill box. But I don't feel this is the story of her becoming empowered. We saw two very different movies then. I see the primary arc of this film being Danny's, but the secondary arc of this film is 100% Sarah's. Is she a supporting character? Absolutely she's a supporting character. I feel this is more of an ensemble film, whereas Terminator 1 and 2 were star-driven vehicles. Here, I think Sarah is as important, and the whole thing is she's hating Terminators and hating her own life because she lost her son, she's very bitter, she's very nihilistic, and through this, she is going to learn what it is to hope. And what we have here is really a grandmother-mother-daughter relationship, because Sarah... Later on, when Grace finally admits what the audience hopefully all knows, and that is Danny is the hero that saves the future, Sarah's like, you're John. She is able to have a surrogate daughter savior instead of the son. They form a mother-daughter relationship. Meanwhile, Grace, who was a child when Danny saved her in the future, looks up at Danny as a mother and is willing to sacrifice herself for the mother that gave her life. So I see very much these maternal bonds between these three characters that I think are really well developed on screen and by these actresses. Yes, they're diagrammed. I see it on the page. I don't feel it. And that's what I would argue, is that I don't feel much in the middle of this movie. This next hour feels a lot of aimless wandering. And yeah, if anything, it becomes about today politics. Suddenly I'm thinking about Trump because the whole issue is how are we going to cross the border? That seems weird, especially since I don't feel like the movie necessarily has a stance on it. It merely depicts it as it is. You cross the border illegally, there are detention facilities, there's INS agents and border patrol that are there to stop you. Good, bad, indifferent. The guards do seem indifferent, but it's not like they're cruel. It's not like they go into details about people who have been separated from their children or anything. It just is. Well, there's some dialogue about separating and don't get separated. Again, why is this movie chasing that? Is that really the mission of this movie to comment on 2019? 
I didn't think so. Look, I appreciate a little bit of that razzing. It's fine. Like, people want to insert their politics in a movie. I think that's fine. I just think it's a mistake to take away from a story about time travel and the human condition. And yeah, these maternal bonds you're talking about, the characters that need to be developing, suddenly it's all about making the ironic point that we can get under the wall by a little trap door. I'll agree with you here. I find it to be the weakest part of the film. This is the moment in Terminator 2 where we get to see John Connor and the Terminator bond. And we get the voiceover of if a robot can learn to be human and I see my son having this father figure and we really get a lot of their character development there. Here, I do see the mother-grandmother-daughter relationship, but I think there might have been some editing stuff here, because we see the Rev-9, and he goes, and just like Sarah Connor says he would, he plugs into every camera everywhere, and he finds them at this colony of, I think, migrants who are taking a train north, but he then follows the train and knows the train is going to Laredo, Except the train doesn't go to Laredo, the train goes to Danny's uncle, who is a coyote who helps people get under the wall, and yet somehow the Rev-9 saw Laredo in his map, and then the Rev-9 becomes Border Patrol. I do like that he is a smarter Terminator. He's perfectly happy to let Border Patrol think these people are with a cartel and use of deadly force is authorized. He doesn't need the glory of getting the kill shot so long as somebody kills Danny. And yet the scene ends with him taking the drone as missile and tries to destroy them from the sky. Like, I agree. There feels like some editing tampering here. It feels like somebody in the editing room is having the thought that I am. Do we really need to be going into this issue right now? I understand on some level, all people can think about these days are Trump and the presidency we have. But I don't feel like that's what I wanted to do when I sat down to watch this film. No, because... They made this character about a Mexican, and they need to get to America to find Arnold. They have to get across the border. I feel like this is unavoidable, but the less they insert politics into this movie, the happier I am. And really, it just becomes another action scene. We get to see Grace breaking out of the med ward because she was hit with shrapnel from the crashing drone and the breakout, and some officer shows up. I swear this officer had to have had a bigger role in some other cut. Officer Rigby? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because he comes up, and he has quite an entrance introducing himself and calling Sarah Connor famous and says an ageist line, senior living's on level two, and yet she's able to break out from him really quick. And we're replaying another Terminator beat here. We had Reese as a prisoner in a police station in Terminator, and here they're prisoners in a detention camp, and the Rev-9 is going to come in and kill a bunch of people. Slightly different to be in a detention camp versus a local jail, but okay. I'm saying it's replaying that beat of the Terminator killing all the law enforcement personnel. Ah. And we get another chase. This movie is action start to finish and good action. So that's why it doesn't slow down enough for me to be bored. On the second viewing, I was like, okay, this train stuff and getting to the uncle feels like there's a step in there that didn't need to be there. There is a lot of that going on throughout this hour. Again, yeah, later we'll meet a character that's just going to get them EMPs, Arthur Bingham, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, the movie just got cut out. 
Suddenly, it just became about the politics of crossing the border and whatever was going on with these characters and what they're trying to accomplish gets minimized. Even the RAV4 gets minimized. He comes running in here eventually. There's one thing that the RAV9 has that no evil Terminator has had in the past. A sense of humor. I don't think Arnold meant to be joking when he said, I'll be back in the first one. But here, the RAV9 is going to pose as a border patrol officer go into the prison area, have to walk through the metal detector, and he's like, my whole body is a weapon. I do like his moment when he swarmed at one point. All the ice guys figure out he's a interloper. He can actually make the uh, spikes not only come out of his hands, but they just kind of pop out of his back, and it's just all of a sudden they're just all skewered. We saw that in the future. That was the only thing I saw that was new, and it was really cool. It kind of reminded me of Venom, because in that future war, we see these, I'm guessing they're Rev-9s, maybe they're Rev-8s, I don't know, but they're Terminators with this liquid metal, and they don't need to use their arms. Any part of them can become a tendril and spike people and throw people, and yeah, I was thinking Venom, I was thinking Carnage from the Spider-Man movies, and here we get to see him use that which we saw in the future. They weren't even trying to look human. They were just these multi-tentacled, ever-shape-shifting attack bots. Get to the chopper. Mm -hmm. They all get to the chopper. And this is where we realize Danny is loyal to Sarah. And I didn't get that in that movie. I would not have believed that she would not have left Sarah behind to protect the universe. Grace certainly is ordering her onto the chopper and get away. But she is going to shoot off Rav-9 until Sarah can make it on. And so that we are to understand at this point forward, they are a unit and that no one will be left behind, that it is not about Danny, and it's time to find out who we're sending the text. This is the other secret. Now, Marjorie, because you weren't interested in this film, you didn't watch trailers. No, I just saw the teaser trailer. Honestly, nothing popped up on my Facebook feed about this movie. I didn't see anybody talking about it. All I knew about this movie from the trailer was Linda Hamilton was in it, which I thought she was just going to be a nod, tip her hat, and head out in the sunset. And I also knew that Edward Furlong was in this movie. Boy, was I, like, completely surprised. <laughs> what, what did that movie look like? I wonder. It's not this one. I know no, that. No, no. But I thought that they were going to Edward Furlong's house in Laredo, Texas. I tried to play that game of, like, if I hadn't seen the preview, who would I imagine would be sending all those texts? I think I still would have probably figured it out, but I didn't think that they would ever play it as Carl the drapery salesman with a wife and kid. You see, and because I knew the trailers, I knew where they were going. I knew it was Arnold sending the texts. I knew it was Arnold at the coordinates. I probably just would have been in the dark if I hadn't known Arnold was coming back in this movie. I certainly, again, to reiterate, I didn't think it looked like Arnold. I didn't think it was Arnold in the 1998 scene. And so here, this may have shocked the hell out of me if they didn't spoil it ahead of time. But having Arnold back is a huge selling point for the Terminator franchise in theory. Again. Well, he is the Terminator. Yeah. So I knew where they were going the whole time. But yeah, Carl the Drapery Guy. I love it. I had no idea he was in this movie. So it was a pleasant surprise. I didn't think that John Connor was really dead. I thought maybe there is like a timeline split off and maybe he yeah. he wasn't. I mean, that's plausible in this movie, Arnie, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with time travel. I mean, it could split off. I thought Edward Furlong still might show up. I agree. Yeah. And then the other thing I thought was when they met the 
military guy, when she said, oh, I know a guy, when they're talking about EMPs, I thought for certain that was going to be the little kid, Miles Dyson's kid, that one of his kids was going to be this badass revolutionary avenging his dad's death, or maybe his dad's still alive because of alternate timelines. But I thought it was going to be one of those kids that could hand off the EMP and that they were fighting the Terminators as well. It should have been. It should have been Captain Dyson. Yeah. What I would say is even when we see Arnold... It takes me a while and a lot of dialogue for them to explain to me that he is the robot that killed Edward Furlong at Guatemala. Like, I went into this thinking that he would be the human being that helped create Skynet and or Legion. And so I thought he was going to be some kind of scientist. The reason why he doesn't look like a bodybuilder anymore is because he's a nerd and that he would be making the robot in his image. I completely agree. When I saw him in the trailer looking so old, I'm like, this is the guy who they modeled the Terminator after at Cyberdyne or something like that. I thought he was going to be our new Miles Dyson. I didn't expect him to be a Terminator. Even when I read in an interview, because people asked James Cameron, how could a Terminator age if he's a robot? He's like, you guys didn't pay attention to that first film because when Arnold is cutting out his bad eye and the landlord pounds on the door and says it smells like a dead cat in there, you're supposed to understand that his flesh is rotting. His flesh is living tissue. It can rot. And if the Terminator lives long enough, it can age. That's his explanation. And I'm going to say the best science fiction idea in this movie, the thing that my mind goes to the most, are these moments. Because once I realize that, what a bind for Sarah Connor. She wants to kill this guy. You killed my son. I hate you. And yet her whole belief system was that we're not fated to do what we're made to do. We can choose our future. So how can she hate a killing machine that chose to become a pacifist with a wife and a son of his own? Well, not necessarily a pacifist. Did you see his armory? Well, true, but it's Texas. Here's the thing. I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger morphed into this guy who can do this like really dry humor. I mean, we got it in True Lies. I think they played him that way in Genesis uh, with Pops. He's very comfortable making light of his tough guy reputation at this point. Exactly, yeah. And he's kind of a likable person, at least in these movies. Debatable. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I I like him in these movies. He is the Terminator to me. So let me have that. I will. I absolutely won't take it. I, I don't know the man. I don't know what he's like to know him. I agree. In this moment, I'm fascinated by what the movie's telling me. What took a killing machine to marry and have a family? I wish we had more of that story. Yeah, but there's not action involved in that story. I think we get what we need out of it, which is very interesting to me, too. It is the closest we come to the ideals of Cameron's original scripts of what is a AI robot when his mission is complete? What is he supposed to do at that point? Someone's writing fanfic right now, guys, so your wait won't be long. And I probably would like it better than this movie. I think we could have gotten to him a little earlier or not spent so much time with border politics and explored this a little bit more. I agree. It's not action-based, but who cares? I want to think about concepts, about time. Terminator movies, the best of them, they always ask you to rethink what you thought you knew. And here was someone that we always thought was a killer after the first movie. And then in the second one, he became the hero. And now in this movie, he went through that journey. He somehow found it by living. He wasn't reprogrammed by the rebels. He killed and then he went off and had an existential crisis and eventually developed programming that allowed him to mimic human remorse and human compassion. 
I love that they answer the questions I had because he's married and has a foster son. And I'm thinking these questions of, does he sleep? Is he anatomically correct? Well, I guess he is, if you've seen the freeze frame from the first one. But he weighs so much and everything like that, because we've seen how heavy a Terminator is. And at one point, Sarah Connor's like, didn't she ever notice that you weigh 400 pounds and never sleep? And he's like, well, it's not a physical relationship. It's, you know, an emotional relationship on her side, because he saved her from an abusive ex-husband and saved her son from the abuse. And he changed his diapers. And he is definitely detached. Grace asks, do you love her? And he's like, not the way a human would. He is still a robot, but his purpose now is to help them. And he found that you need a purpose to have a meaningful life. And so his remorse was giving Sarah Connor purpose. Sarah Connor had no purpose when her son was dead. She just drank herself to oblivion. But by telling her when Terminators were coming, which I have to assume were all Legion Terminators at this timeline, then by doing that, he helped her have a purpose, even if it was only one every couple of years. I love this concept. If I were the studio exec and they pitched me that movie, green light. I want to see that movie. I don't feel like I've seen this movie in full form the way that I would have liked to. Again, a lot of wasted time. But now that we're here in this moment, yeah, it's killer. I'm laughing. I'm feeling emotions, human emotions. It's not just about the sensation that action can give you. It's what a Terminator movie should do. It reminded me a lot of Her, if Her was a giant muscle-bound killer. Right. A movie I love. But this is the point, and really through this pain that Sarah is feeling, this is the point where Danny decides what she wants to do, which is essentially what Sarah wants her to do and not what Grace wants her to do. Grace wants to hide her at the bottom of some mine shaft, and she's like, I don't want to run. I want to be a fighter. And so they're going to make a stand, and then they realize they don't have an ending to this movie, and it's just a bunch of running around for the next 40 minutes. But I do like the action Terminator films. I, again, having rewatched one and two, our lulls are merely to allow us to catch our breath between action set pieces in both those movies. It is a lot of running around. I do think this is the ending of the movie. I like seeing, the, again, Danny making the stand. Why did he send his family away if the kill box wasn't that cabin? Because the Rev-9 was going to that cabin and would have killed whoever was there. He smashes the place up trying to figure out where they went. And, you know, I found the line touching when he said, the past I had has caught up with me, and I won't be back. I was like, oh. Yeah, I knew it was coming then. Yeah. You always got to second guess yourself. Do I want to pull out the most famous things and reinterpret them? Is I'll be back and I won't be back? Is that too much? Arguable, but yes. And what was too much was the sunglasses. There is that moment where he's getting ready to leave and he picks up the sunglasses and we finally hear the old score. Junkie XL has shied away from the Terminator score. This was Arnold. Tim Miller was like, no, you're putting on the sunglasses. Arnold's like, I'm not putting on the sunglasses. (laughs) They ended up taking it both ways. And in editing, they decided Arnold was right. Not putting on the sunglasses was the way to go. Yeah. I Again, I just feel like... 
what we get next is bigger because bigger is better. That is the philosophy. We need planes. We need crashing. We don't want to be in some cabin. We want to just blow everything up, a dam and what have you, and get to some kind of factory again. If you don't do that, you're not giving Terminator 2 fans what they want. They want the big climactic ending like Terminator 2 had. It's a little convenient that they end up in a f- equivalent of a foundry again, this time a power plant, but... I want to see something that rivals or beats Terminator 2's climax. And what I would say is I am just as much a Terminator 2 fan as you. And what I want is to see innovation. I don't want them to just do what they've done before, lazily phone it in. But I don't think they're lazily doing what they've done before. They are following the story beats. But as far as the visuals go, I mean, this even best T2, and they're doing all new kinds of stunts and things. I think Tim Miller excels at that. With the free fall, this is amazing stunts. I mean, the only good scene, the only reason to see Tom Cruise's The Mummy is to see the plane crash. And here, this is like the plane crash going on for five minutes with them in free fall and floating and jumping from place to place. I am Fully adrenalized, fully engaged in this. I hated all the zero gravity stuff. I thought that looked bad. And I did like that mummy scene. So I didn't even put that together. I just, to me, this felt silly that they were flying around like Peter Pan. I saw that they had a Humvee back there strapped down. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to parachute out. And I was absolutely right because we got that in Charlie's Angels. We got that in A-Team. I think we got it in a Fast and Furious movie. And now we have it in Terminator. I somehow missed how the Rev-9 got back to the power plant because he fell out of the airplane and landed on Cheryl's she shed. What was the plan? They gave it a, like a high success rate when they had these EMPs. And so setting that off means all machines stop. Yeah, yeah. it's like an electropulse that will just freeze all the machines temporarily. Why couldn't they do it at the cabin? Why are they on a plane? Because they had to go get it. But then I assume when the military guy got shot they had to change their plan and that's when he said hey you need to go to the base they'll help you out and then he started radioing the base and saying hey they're on their way let us through blah 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 i really liked that too that like you get the military on your side this guy is able to let them crash literally into a military base and steal an airplane and get escort jets and they still can't stop this and that's exactly why that character should have been one of the dyson kids agreed That character should have been Captain Dyson. I don't know why he wasn't, and it would have shown that he was perfectly fine with what happened to his father because he knew what the future held. Alternate theory, should have been Danny Cooksey's character. Who's that? Oh, the redhead from Salute Your Shorts? The redhead from Different Strokes? Oh, yeah. yeah, Okay, yeah, that's Bring him back? (laughs) Yeah. And I would say, let's not have this character that nobody cares about popping up for five minutes. Let's have this robot that apparently has all of this knowledge build the EMPs right here, and we don't need to do any of this silliness. I'm glad you're enjoying it, Arnie, and I could see the logic of doing big. I just don't feel like this is the climax that they had built, particularly when they had that nice dramatic moment. Suddenly, I feel like this is just, oh, we're throwing that all away and doing some callback, some recreation of the past. What I really noticed on my second viewing of this movie is that the action propels this to where it felt like no time had passed the second time I watched it. The first time, because I don't know what's coming and everything, and I'm trying to figure out the mysteries and figure out which characters are important, I could feel a little length to it. But the second time, I'm like, we're already at the damn dam already? 
and he's trying to break through the damn door. I am never going to tire of these damn jokes, but <laughs> I couldn't believe that they jumped out of the plane, landed on the dam, and I knew that was where the whole big fight is. And the underwater stuff, I mean, oh my god, I'm always... Marjorie can tell you, I had a fear for a long time of driving off a bridge into a body of water. He does. And uh, because I drove over one every single day, the odds were high that during an ice storm, I could crash in and I was... Well, I wouldn't say the odds were high. I think perhaps your anxiety and delusions were high. Okay, but I was still researching and watching lots of videos of how to escape a submerged car. Yeah, you were able to tell me quickly how to escape every time we go over a bridge. Okay. None of them involved using a parachute to tie up the Terminator outside the door, but I liked it. I really thought it would be harder for them because those waters by the dam were racing. I thought they were going to be swept away, caught underwater, have to fight to get to the surface, but no, they get up there pretty Yeah, easy. but if you recall, I'm guessing that that Hummer went certain far and then just plunked down. We had a Hummer. It was a heavy, big vehicle. And we had an H3, let alone a military-grade Hummer. Yeah, I mean, it was like clunk. So you're right. The, the water's at the bottom of the dam. There is a period of great energy, and then it just gets calm. So perhaps they were there. If you try too hard to think about the physics, it's just not going to work. Maybe I'm thinking too hard because I don't want to be at a dam. I mean, the first, the climax of the first two makes sense because it's a factory. It's symbolism of machines and how we use them and putting that all into motion. And the idea that time itself is one big machine that we can't escape from. Or maybe we can. And here it's a dam because, I don't know, it's got a big turbine and we can grind them up in it for a little bit. And you can get a chain and I can get a mace and we can all just tag team this thing. I don't understand the dam unless they just thought, well, where have we not been? Yes. I don't know enough about Laredo, Texas to know if there is a dam in the area, if they were looking in the area to find something. Well, they flew away from that. I don't even know if they're anywhere near Laredo at this point. Well, when the movie ends, they're still in Texas and the license plates all still say Texas. I thought they were still at Texas, but I don't know why, but it was exciting. And again, I'm liking this fight here at the end where all four of them, well, Danny still hasn't picked up a gun yet. She has to wait till the end, but Sarah, Carl, and Grace are all armed and all fighting this Terminator. I think this is the best fight in the movie. I mean, they should save the best for last. There's no sped up footage. They go the opposite way. Tim Miller uses a lot of slow-mo, and when Grace is using that chain in slow motion and slicing the Rev-9, I was thinking that was awesome. He did do some of the slow-mo in Deadpool, but here, I thought it really, really worked. I wish there was one thing different about the Terminator. The Terminator has this really cool thing about the skeleton can leave, and so the metal Terminator can be one person, and the skeletal Terminator can be another, and they can fight in tandem. I wish there was a benefit like, he was stronger when the skeleton was in him, like, trying to keep them apart. Because otherwise, why would you ever merge with the skeleton after you've traveled back in time? Just let there be two of you. This is what we were saying about innovation, though. So, it's a very bland Terminator compared to what we've had in the past. I mean, every time we've gotten a, a new Terminator in, well, one and two, I guess, they leveled up. This one, other than splitting apart, which has no advantage or disadvantage, other than you can be in somewhere and, like, do two battles, there's no innovation in this well it allows theoretically grace to fight one and arnold to fight the other carl to fight the other if you want to call him that 
Are those battles satisfying? Ultimately, it is Danny's fight, and she is going to use the power inside Grace. A lot is made about the fact that the augmented center to her cybernetics is explosive when you stick it into a Rev-9, which I would think would mean that they know how to defeat them in the future, if it's that easy, but okay. Well, they do know how to defeat them in the future. They're able to stand their own. I mean, there's an literally an army of Rev-9s coming, and you have to stab them with this power source, but they could take out Rev-9s in the future using EMPs and all this other stuff. They just don't have their pulse phase rifles and everything here in 2020. It didn't look like they were winning in 2042. And again, maybe if we had a scene of Danny showing how to beat them, and they weren't fighting... That would be one thing. But of course, they don't want to tease that future because they're going to make sequels where that future is still chaotic. But just like in Terminator 1, where Reese says, we won. The reason Skynet decided to send somebody back in time was as a last ditch effort because humans won. Grace does say humans won. Danny led them to victory. And so that means they learned how to kill everything. But we haven't seen that moment. No, we haven't seen it. We didn't see it in Terminator 1 either. Right. It was implied. Right. Just like here. So it's just as good. That moment is absolutely just as good. Okay. (laughs) It's the exact same moment. I didn't know you could do the same thing and be just as good as the original. That's good to know. I I look forward to the new Star Wars, but it's going to be even better than any Star Wars before. I'm glad to know you think every Broadway revival is lesser than the one before. Broadway revival involves different cast members in a different era, usually in a different context. It is not the same thing. Film retains the permanence of the moment. This is different cast members. It's a different era and it's a different context. I think this is the Terminator equivalent of a Broadway revival. It met all the criteria you ticked. Are you comfortable with every classic being done in this way? I don't see why not. Let's get new people to watch them. And you will like them. I might if they're done well. Okay. And I won't if they're done poorly. But for you, the idea of the future of franchises is that they need to cast new people with as many old people that are still alive and remake. No, that's what they're choosing to do. And here is perhaps the best example I've seen of it with Jurassic World in number two. Okay. And the Rev-9 takes out pretty much everybody in this fight. Carl does get him in that turbine, which rips his metal skin off. What, it gets the power source and it falls? I don't know what Arnold's falling does to help. Well, first of all, we get a big moment here because Arnold is defeated. The Rev-9 ripped his arm off and beat him up. Yeah, yeah, we've seen this a million times. Yeah, it's the trope. He loses his arm every film and he's down and defeated. And Grace is dead because... Danny took out her power source and Sarah Connor's injured. And Sarah earlier was Grace said to the Terminator, your name's Carl. And he goes, that's what they call me. And Sarah says, I'm never going to fucking call you Carl. Well, here at the end, when the Terminator's down, she goes, Carl, help her. It's again, she is coming to accept this person and consider him part of the team, even though it is the Terminator that killed her son. She is learning forgiveness. She is accepting him as Carl. Her calling him Carl brings just enough consciousness back to this robot that he can hold the power source in the Rev-9 so that he can't extract it. He can't leave his body. He's just the skeleton now. But Carl has to hold it in and sacrifice himself so they both end up in rubble. Yeah, I needed three boxes of Kleenex to get through this scene. It was so powerful. 
I'm, I'm not saying I cried, but I'm saying I thought it was a big moment when she called him Carl. Okay, but it was more touching in T2 when he had to be lowered into the molten steel because he had established an emotional connection with John and was the father figure that John never had. I didn't cry, but... It was more impactful that he was sacrificing himself. I guess you could feel bad that he was leaving his wife and son, but... In 1991, I have no problem admitting I cried when Arnold lowered himself in the steel, even while I realized, hey, they have a new arm right there. Why don't you just stay alive in the present? As I grew older, I understood that they had to destroy all the tech, including him. But here, this is a heroic sacrifice versus an emotional sacrifice. He sacrifices himself to take out the Rev-9 versus sacrificing himself just to stop the future that would come if he stayed. I'm glad that meant something for you. So this is as good as as Terminator 2 in this moment. I think his death means more than Reese's. Every time I've seen Terminator 1, it's like Reese's death is just played off so nonchalantly. Okay. Reese was there for exactly one reason, and that's to put the bun in the oven. Mm -hmm. I liked Reese, and I thought when he got a monologue about the future and why he loved her, I thought even now watching it yesterday, it was touching. It is touching, but his death, it's not filmed or edited in a way that carries the impact. Because the idea is to get the woman alone to prove that she alone can do it. And here we have a lot of characters. Some are coming with us to the future, some are not. Grace is kind of dead and kind of not dead. This augmented version is dead, but there is still a child on a playground somewhere who may grow up to live in a robotic future or not. Yes, she is credited as 10-year-old Grace, so we're able to figure out the timeline there. And I love that now we have tough-ass Danny, who's taking the car keys and driving the truck, and Sarah is with her. These two women are going to save the future together. I love it. I think this is the best ending of a Terminator film since... Two. <laughs> okay, wow. What a pronouncement. Well, keep in mind, I'm an easy lay for Terminators. Every time one of the new ones has ended, I've been like, I can't wait for the next one. Yes, you mo- you almost recommended Salvation. I did recommend Salvation. I had to fix it. <laughs> well, before we look at the future, Marjorie Stewart, do you recommend Terminator Dark Fate? Marjorie. You know, I went in extraordinarily jaded and cynical. I was dragging my feet. I was loathing this, thinking it would be another weak reboot like we had seen. You know, I enjoyed it. It was not at all up to par with T1 and T2, but I will admit that I am a little biased and I do love those two movies very much. But I think that it does a perfect job of erasing the rest of them. But I think this was, I I liked it. It was a good movie. I had fun. I remained spoiler free, which was a rare thing for me. So I had no idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in this movie. So it was a really great surprise that he was. I'm going to recommend it. It was fun. It was fine. It wasn't near as bad as I imagined it would be in my head. Does it have holes? Absolutely. But what doesn't? And if you think too hard about time travel, we're just going to all get migraines because we don't know. I've heard it said that time travel will never exist because if it did exist, it would already have existed because somebody would have come back in time. And maybe they have. Yeah. Stuart. You know, here at Downplaying, we spend a lot of energy on that question, what makes a really good sequel. And I think T2 is one that we always... It's that rare category of we had a great first one and they surpassed it with an even greater second one. It's so rare. Why was that able to happen? That is the model. That is the thing to copy. Make a great movie even better the next time is what we hope but rarely get. 
And why did it work that way? I think it's the 65-35 formula. In a sequel, when I think about a good sequel, 65% of it needs to be callbacks, and then 35% needs to be, you're giving me something I haven't seen before. First 70 minutes of that movie was just total remake, but the innovation was technical. They now had the money to pull off chase scenes that they hadn't been able to do before. They had this groundbreaking liquid metal technology that large segments of the audience had never seen anything like that before. They could make the first one remake the first one, and it would wow us. But then there was also the innovation. They changed from the idea of this is a fatalistic future that can't be escaped, predetermined by forces that humans don't have impact on, and say that we do have the power through free will to change destiny. That was also great. And Sarah Connor grappling with that, realizing that in changing that, she'd have to kill this father, Dyson, right in front of his kids. And is that worth that? I mean, all of that, the drama, the melodrama, the technical, it got all the notes. And the thing about all the sequels is they didn't get that formula right. As sequels, probably all of them are consistently meh. If they were sequels to Time Cop, I'd probably give them all green arrows because, hey, it's better than some of that. But they're falling in the shadows of two really great films. And at a certain point, you can't keep making great. We haven't seen that happen. And so what have they decided to do with Dark Fate? They've decided to do what we're calling remakes, recasting new people that you haven't seen before. Let's have a Mexican girl be John Connor. Let's have an androgynous woman be the Terminator. Let's see what changing the identity politics means in remaking the film, but we will sanction it by bringing the oldsters back and having them nod their head and say, we approve of what you're doing here. And they did it with Force Awakens. They did it with Halloween 2018. I gave those movies a pass. I didn't think that they were great, but I thought they were both solid. Why am I not doing it for Dark Fate? I think it ends up coming down to the replacement parts. Grace, the Rev-9, and particularly Danny, don't rehabilitate this old creaky machine. They grind the greers down. The story stops. It sputters. There is no future that they're leading into that I want to participate. The characterization, again, it's just fuck fate, that's not even a good meme, much less a credo that's going to save mankind. And Cameron has a passion for making women the stars. I think that that is something that he usually does very well. Ripley, Lindsay, Linda Hamilton in all of the Terminator movies, including this one. But these new characters, they don't do it. And I just think, yeah, it's kind of lazy the way they expect us to just watch the new one made without that character, without that melodrama. It's not going to come back. It's a Halloween costume contest. It's appropriate that it came out on Halloween because I judge it the same way I would as people cosplaying. Yeah, you put on the outfit, but that ain't Terminator. And I think this is a really good sequel to the Terminator franchise. I think that having Cameron back brings some of the magic we needed because I did always feel like Terminator 3, 4, they pulled the Alien 3. James Cameron wanted Skynet defeated at the end of Terminator 2. He wanted that message to be, there's no fate. And then the sequels came along and went, well, there's kind of fate uh, because we want more Terminator movies and more money. And here, by doing this push and 
saying it's a different future and they're sending different things back, but we yet doing a remake of the first one. Now we have Legion instead of Skynet in this remake. It works really well as part of the franchise. As as Marjorie said, this is the proper part three we've always been lacking because Sarah Connor was the franchise. Everybody thought Arnold was the franchise. I think we did learn with Pops that Arnold wasn't the franchise and really Salvation. I mean, he was almost not in Salvation. He really wasn't. They just CGI'd his face on somebody else. But bringing Sarah Connor back and getting protagonists who really matter to us. I mean, that's what Genesis did right, too, was bringing Sarah Connor back. They just were doing the remake in reverse, whereas here, this is bringing Sarah Connor back and also having another tough-ass female who can carry the franchise forward. And I guess what it comes down to, Stuart, is how much you like Danny. I really liked Danny. I got behind her in this movie. I didn't like her at the beginning necessarily. I didn't dislike her either. But seeing her character's evolution, seeing her maturation made me really like this character. And yeah, I do think having rewatched the first one and then seen this one in close succession, unless you have an emotional attachment to the first one for nostalgia reasons... This is that same story told in a much more exciting way without the Jason and the Argonauts type Terminator effects. So, yeah, this is a strong recommend for this movie. I really hope it gets a sequel, but yeah, as we've mentioned already, the box office, not so much. Now, Cameron, when he made this, saw this as the beginning of a trilogy that would end the Terminator films. He already had outlines for Dark Fate 2, Dark Fate 3. The next one was going to really explore human-AI relationships. And Linda Hamilton said she'd come back in another one. Arnold, I think they did put him to bed perfectly here. I don't think we need to have another T-800. This, where he dies saying for John was a nice capper, but I would love to see another movie with Sarah and Danny together again. And I think you are in that future alone. I don't think there's another human being standing there feeling that. Probably including James Cameron and Tim Miller because it sounds like there was compromises made in the editing of this film that nobody got the movie that they wanted. I think James Cameron got the movie he wanted. I don't know. Let me put it this way. I would be disappointed. It did not have the heady mind twist of time travel. We did not spend a lot of time thinking about what time did to these people and changed the, again, the emotional drama. If you only look at this franchise as an action movie, you can say newer, bigger, better is the way to go. But the cleverness, the mental game, the challenge of Terminator is not here in these new films. I don't know. I really did try to suss out the time travel and how that could possibly work with the Terminator coming back from the false timeline. I don't think we did it. I don't think we succeeded in finding out how it works, and it certainly doesn't emotionally impact me. Here's how it works. The future happens and the sequels come when it makes money and <laughs> you bring back the things that made you the money. Danny ain't it. Terminator will come back. Somehow, some way, yes. This will come back. I will never see Danny or Grace again. I'm sure of it. Judging by the box office, both domestic and global, I actually think this whole series is terminated. I don't think we're going to be seeing Terminator again. Maybe ever. This may be the end of the whole franchise. And it's a shame because this was, I feel, the better of the lot for remakes, reboots, whatever you want to call this. Well, there's no fate except what Cameron makes it. But in the meantime, 
we have more movies that I'm not necessarily wanting, sequels that I didn't want, whether or not they could be good. Terminator Dark Fate, I really liked. How will I feel about Doctor Sleep? I certainly never wanted a Shining Part 2. Yeah, the 80s keep coming back, don't they? I mean, I just, it's where we're at. I realize that everything in the 80s, we have, even the flops, we have nostalgia for now. And you hear about, like, we're going to remake Monster Squad and all of it. Yeah, Shining's a tricky one. We know we lost Kubrick 20 years ago. Someone is stepping in there and making both a sequel to Kubrick's vision and a continuation of Stephen King's literary adaptation, which frankly was always not congruous with Kubrick's vision. So that will be an interesting trick. Can someone harmonize what I would call a not very good sequel book with the vision of Kubrick and give us something that's interesting? I hope so. I'm just really, really disappointed already. I'll just say this going in that they recast the main role and got Ewan McGregor when we know it really should have been Cortland Mead. Who's Cortland Mead? Kissin' Kissin', that's what I've been missing. <laughs> I didn't even get your joke. I had repressed all of that. Okay. Yes. How could it be better than that? We'll find out. I actually am curious. I can't say excited implies that I think it'll be good. I'm very curious, though. And the week after that, Marjorie, UI and Jacob are back for Charlie's Angels 2019. Yes, we are. That will be the end of the remake sequels until we get to Black Christmas 2019. <laughs> and in the meantime, on Fridays, we're starting our gold level. And we've got a grudge to bear. And it's several of them. Twelve of them, I believe. Two of them this week. Yes, this is the first time we've ever done that, that because there are so many movies in the franchise and we have a new theatrical grudge coming at the first of the year, the only way to condense all of that in is to kind of squish some of the Japanese language movies into two a weekend. So this Friday, we get Juon the Curse and Juon the Curse 2, which are the first grudge movies. Before there were grudges, they were curses, you got to dig for these. These are probably not the films that you're going to find at Netflix. They're on YouTube and we will post links to Facebook and Twitter so you can go and watch these online. That's how I had to watch them. Yeah. And don't worry about a lack of quality, like any kind of deterioration. It actually kind of works for you. It's almost found footage. What we're going to see is very low res video. So Marjorie Stewart, thank you for joining me and we'll be back on Friday with Juwan the Curse. That Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever. Until you are dead. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Look Back at the Terminator movie series. The future is not set. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. Join us each week for another new movie review podcast. I've been waiting for you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production and not affiliated with the Halcyon Company, Paramount Pictures, Skydance Productions, or Warner Brothers Pictures. The unknown future rolls toward us. I face it for the first time with a sense of hope. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019. 
and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. This is great stuff. I could make a career out of this guy. You see how clever this part is? How it doesn't require a shred of proof? Until next time. Hasta la vista, baby. Can you say something, Stuart? Yep, I'm talking. And how do keep I ta- sound? Keep talking. I'm trying to turn okay. up the volume on my headphones. All right, and I'm going to keep talking at the same volume, and you'll know oh. if it's getting louder. He didn't have them on. No, I had them on. Um, I was pumping up the bass and not the volume. <laughs> okay. Well, then I should have been beatboxing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess there were s- seats between us and the people next to us. We went to the recliner theater because that is now my favorite theater. Second to only Ronnie's in St. Louis, which has heated recliners, which <laughs> does make me fall asleep during the movie. So it's a little problematic. Yeah. You don't want to get too comfortable. And, you yeah. know, sometimes I come out of those diner ones, like just covered in like condiments and things. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, you should not <laughs> recline and eat. That's just a no. bad thing. No. And then you're going to end up with heartburn. Yeah. Mm. It's, just, it's a whole thing. Yeah. I and I'll I stick. And I hate the recliner theaters when it's rainy or snowy because the person behind me's feet usually stink when they're mm. wet. It is a real yeah. problem. <laughs> if it rains, don't go to the recliner theater. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> or at least don't recline much. Well, but everyone else is going to, and the smell <laughs> changes. <laughs> but uh, but I can't stand the people who bring blankets to it. This isn't your house. Yeah, the blankets and pillows are a little bit much. I just put my coat over my lap. I'm nice and toasty, and I'm good. Our lulls are merely to allow us to catch our breath between action set pieces in both those movies, and maybe to see Sarah Hamilton topless during the sex scene of the first one. But Linda Hamilton? (laughs) I did that with Marjorie, too. Sarah Hamilton, Linda Connor. That's because you know a Sarah Hamilton. I do know a Sarah. You just said you want to see Sarah Hamilton topless. (laughs) This gets complicated. It does. It gets very complicated. You know, as I aged and grew older, yes, that's what aging is. (laughs) Since Sarah Hamilton said she'd come back in another one. Linda Hamilton. (laughs) I didn't know what you were saying nope for.